Dear Lord, thank you for being here today. Thank you that we have money to offer you, and we pray that you you lead it, that you multiply it, Father, and we that you use it in your name, Father. Thank you for giving us the voice to glorify you, even though we didn't deserve it. Thank you for fingers to play guitar and piano. Thank you for music itself, that we can use it to come together to unify our voices and sing your glorious, glorious praises. In your name I'll pray. Amen. Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate y'all stepping out and doing that for us. Let's see, and as we, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be a little bit all over. You know what, I'm not even going to tell you where to turn yet. How about that? But while we're not doing that, how about kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Grace out the back there. 
All right, as those guys, those guys do that, you know, one of my constant prayers for, one of my constant prayers for my, uh, for our church body and for, uh, and for our body at large, really, and, and for my family and, and myself, is that God would be continually giving me a greater love for him and a greater, a greater love for people. I think if, if I, uh, if I read the New Testament right, you know, the problems that, that we have with sin, the problems that we have in following Jesus Christ are a heart issue. They're because we, we maybe love something else besides God and don't love each other very well. But because we're kind of natural-born, sinful people, um, we're, we're pretty good at loving ourselves, which is kind of unfortunate. But that's one of the things that God is redeeming us and rescuing us from and uh, one of the things that we ask God to do. So... so um, what I, where I wanted to start today, I love to talk about that the, the concept, Old or New Testament, I, especially the Old Testament, I love to talk about this development of the, of, of the theology of love, boy, that sounds a little boring when I say it that way, of this theology of love that, that gets more and more detailed throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. So anyway, so we were out the other night, I'm not sure if you heard, we were out the other night, we got to see the Gatlin Brothers, and I am not a country and western country or western music fan, neither is Bill Clark. Uh, but we got to go out with the, with the Bucks. Actually, we got tickets together. We talked about it, went out together. And, uh, man, it was an excellent concert, just incredible, those guys. I think they're the real deal. Out of Odessa, Texas, those guys. So, anyway, uh, they're the real deal. Had a, had a really good time. One of the things I love about that, though, is when you get to go down to, down to Palador Canyon is that you get to see incredible, amazing nighttime sky. You know, down in that hole you don't have of the canyon, you don't have, all the, uh, don't have all the city lights, and you can really see very well all the stars. And it reminds me of, it reminded me of King David, um, who, was, who was doing the kind of the same thing that you and I do sometimes, and that sometimes we look at the stars and we take, we just find it remarkable that the things that God has done and remarkable the works of his hands in creating the whole universe all just by speaking it into existence. Amen. It's, it's just incredible. And so David was doing that apparently one night, and he wrote these words in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. He said this. Matter of fact, I'm going to read it off the screen. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Here we go. Here we go. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You know, I don't know if you get that, but when I'm out and looking at the stars, when I'm out looking at the moon, I just feel all the expansiveness of space and knowing that we can't even see it all, and I feel very, very, very small in the universe. Yeah? Is this you too? You feel that way? I mean, you see the the incredibleness of God's creation and the expanse of the stars and the the incredible uh, work that he's done all around us, and I feel very, very, very small. And so, not unlike David, not like, unlike you and I, you know, we, we tend to think of, of him, because of all the glory of all that you've done, God, why do you even waste a thought on us? Why do you even care about us? Why is it? You know, this, this, the, this, um, this verse in particular, uh, verse 4 there, where it says, what is man that you are mindful of, of him, the son of man that you care? That made such an impression on the designer of uh, a, a young American architect in, in the 19, early uh, early 1900s, that he put that phrase up above the building that would become the philosophy building. It's called the Emerson Hall at Harvard. That phrase is still above that kind of pagan place right now, even today. What is God that you are mind? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care? What is it about people that God is so 
uh, preoccupied about? What is it that God is so observant about our thoughts? Over and over again in the Old Testament, it says that, that God observes men, that he, he sees his ways and he perceives his thoughts from afar. And over and over again, it says that, is that God is always thinking about mankind, for which I'm incredibly grateful. You? He's always thinking of us. He, we're always on his mind. We're always on his heart. He is always thinking about us. And we have that, what, what we're talking about here in Psalm chapter chapter 8. Um, and then, so I'm just going to hit just a couple of things about, about this, about God's love and how, how we come to understand in the Old Testament. My favorite uh, word probably in the entire scripture in Hebrew is chesed. It's that hard H sound of, of Jewish, uh, Jewish language, of Hebrew language, um, that hard H sound, chesed, love. And that word chesed is used all throughout the Old Testament to describe God's faithful, loving devotion toward his people over and over again. One of the greatest places, um, well, no, I'm sorry, let me back up here just a little bit. So in, in um, um, we, see, we see God's, God's love first really kind of being expressed uh, in one ways in, in the book of Genesis. We see when Hagar, you remember Hagar kind of got in a little trouble with Sarah and Abraham, and Sarah sent or had Abraham send her away. And so Hagar was, was being sent away from from the family that she had, from Abraham and the, the really kind of the husband that she had. And, uh, and whenever she was sent away, God sent an, an angel to her and, and tended to her and told her about what a, what a blessing that her son was going to be and, and how God was going to watch over and, and prepare things for him um, because of Abraham's behalf. But one of the great things I love about those verses in Genesis is, is it says that, that Hagar heard the angel speak to her, the, the messenger of the Lord, and he heard her speak, to her, speak to, him, to her, and then Hagar replied back, this is the God who sees me. I love that phrase because, because what it means is that as big and, and as in, in huge as God is and that he fills all of creation, all of the universe, all of heavens and earth, we just read in Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago, and, and all of the heavens and all of the earth, and he fills them all. And yet he knows and he sees every single one of us. Every, every trial, every tr- struggle, every trouble that you've been through in your life, he sees and he knows everyone. Matter of fact, one of the other, one of the other Psalms declares that, that he sees and he captures every tear in a bottle from your whole life. And he remembers and he records and he sees every detail of your life. In the New Testament, Jesus would say, he sees and he knows every hair on your head. That is the God of hugeness, the God of the universe, but also the very personal God to every single one of us. Amen? Uh, that is the glory of the God that we worship. And I love it in, then, so moving from Genesis into Exodus, Moses asked God, he said, show me your glory, because God had been speaking to Moses for that time for, I don't know, three or four chapters. And so he said, I want to see your glory for myself. And, and, and God spoke to Moses and he said, well, you can't see my face, but I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. I'll let my presence pass in front of you and I'll, I, will, I will put you in a cleft of a rock and I'll cover you with my hand and my presence will, walk, will, will pass in front of you and you can see at least part of my glory. But if anyone saw my face, they would die because he is too glorious to, to be looked upon by, by, by humankind. So as he passed by in, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 is the account. It says that as, as he had passed by in front of Moses, he proclaimed. So here's the Lord. He's going to proclaim who he is. And he says about this about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love 
and faithfulness. He says, you want to know who I am? I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in chesed is the word there in Hebrew. That word chesed means that God has made a covenant to his people that he will love them. And he loved them throughout the Old Testament. And we're reading some terrible parts in Jeremiah right now where the people refused to follow him. And they built altars to all these foreign gods. And they wouldn't be kind to the poor. And, and their prophets were, were, um, were false. And their leaders were defunct. And nothing was working well in the community. And no one was following God well. But God would say, yet my hesed love will never fail. I will be faithful in my grace and my, my love toward you. I am devoted to you as my people, and not because right, the Israelites or us were anything really at all, but because of the glory and the graciousness of God. He says, my chesed love will not fail. In, in Psalm 136, the psalmist says over and over and again, we could read the whole chapter, but over and over again it says this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. NIV says it a little bit different. His love endures forever. Um, give thanks to the Lord of gods because his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts because his love endures forever. His love for you and I never fails. It never ends. And it is infinite and everlasting and eternal. And there is nothing, thank God, that you and I can do to escape it. Uh, because otherwise we would. I love also, so can, kind of continuing through the gospel, so we've, we've talked about Genesis, we've talked about Exodus, we talked a little bit about in the Psalms about how it proclaims God's love for you will not fail. It will continue on. It is supreme. It is bigger than all of our sin. Amen? Every time that we fail, we have this kind of, we just have this kind of fear in ourselves that God's going to stop loving me. He can't accept me anymore. But the truth is, is that love, God's love conquers all, even your sin and my sin and every failure, every failed step, every time we act when we shouldn't have acted, every time we don't act when we should have, his love covers it all, ultimately by the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed in the New Testament. But continuing on in Hosea, Hosea takes on this expression or this understanding, this developing understanding of God's love in a whole new way because God told Hosea, go and marry an unfaithful woman. Go and marry, actually what he told him to do was to marry a prostitute. And he would go and marry a woman who would not be faithful to him. But he was using Hosea as an example. Hosea was like God, and, 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 uh, and, and his wife, Gomer, was like Israel. And even though she would not be faithful, God called on Hosea, you be faithful. You call her back. You show her, and you demonstrate a faithful love to her. And that's the picture that you and I have of God. Despite our unfaithfulness, God, in his devoted love, in his hesed love for us, he loves us still and always because he's made a covenant promise with us by a new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? God loves people. He is preoccupied in his mind with thoughts of people. He was thinking all the time about us. And, and it's not just that he thinks about us, but the way that he thinks about us in the, in the Old Testament is, is described in ways that his thoughts toward us are compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? So all of us who are his, all of us who've been brought into the family of God have this covenant with him where he says, I will have in this everlasting love for them. Amen? Amen?
So let's continue. So now let's jump forward a little bit. So Hosea was one of the earlier prophets. Jeremiah was one of the later prophets. Uh, right before Judah's taken in about 586 B.C. By the, uh, by the Babylonians. But anyway, we just read this last week. This from, from Jeremiah chapter 31 says this. This is what the Lord says. So here's, here is Jeremiah prophesying about what's ha- about to happen to Israel, and he, to Judah. And he says this. This is what the Lord says. The people who were survived the sword will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with everlasting kindness. Don't you love that? I I love to say this to my kids. I love to say it to my family. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's the love that God has for his people. It is everlasting. It is unending. It is enduring. It is stubborn. There is no end to it. It will continue from the point from now until all eternity. God's thoughts towards you, believer, God's thoughts toward you are like a father's thoughts toward his son, a mother's thoughts toward her son or daughter. His thoughts toward you are described all throughout the Old Testament as this loving, nurturing, caring love for his people. Amen? That's kind of the Old Testament in a nutshell about the description of what God's love is. And actually, the reason that we know what hesed, love, is in the Old Testament is because we see the actions and the intentions of God throughout all the Old Testament, throughout all the Old Testament, and it helps us understand what God's love is like. We turn to the New Testament, and you get this full expression of what God's love is. See, as great as it is in the Old Testament, all we know all the structures of the Old Testament, all that God had done in preparing the temple, all that God had done in, in instructing how the temple would be built, about putting sacrificial systems in, about having a high priest, all those things, Paul would write, are shadows of the things to come. And in the, in the New Testament, they have their full expression. And so if you want to know the love of God, you have to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you see what? What is the love that that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his church? What does it look like? It's what? Go ahead. This is your time. Okay. This is, yeah, that's that's where I was going to get ultimately. It is self-sacrificing. You see, in all of the Old Testament, God prepared someone else or something else, a sacrifice of an animal all throughout the Old Testament, and he had set this up where he was always willing to sacrifice, and he himself would provide a sacrifice. Remember the story of Isaac? He himself would provide the sacrifice, which was a foreshadowing of what was coming in the New Testament, where God sacrificed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see love demonstrated? Do you want to understand God's love for you? Look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? It is, matter of fact, it it would be written about in in the New Testament by Paul, God demonstrated his love for us. Amen? He demonstrated. He put it on display. It's like he opened a show and he said, I want to express to these people, I want to show them how much I care for them. I want to show them how much I love them. And so he took his son and he nailed him to a cross so that you and I wouldn't have to suffer under our sin anymore. Hallelujah. Amen. Raise your hands. It's all right. Hallelujah. This is good news. Amen. This is good news. That is the extent of God's love for us. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ would say, no, a greater love has no man than this that he lay his life down for his friends, and then he did it. Amen? That's the love of God. That's the love of God. 
in John chapter 13 now, if you have your Bibles with you, I love the way this starts because this is this, this framework and this understanding, this bigger picture that's set in the Old Testament of the love for God is now going to be expressed in a way to his very closest friends, his disciples, is going to be expressed to them in a way that they had not seen before. That God, what God was willing to go, how far was God willing to go to show his love for people? We'll have the answer here. John chapter 13, if you would, please. John chapter 13, we're going to re- read verses 1 through 3 at first. It was just, So here we go. We've been coming back to this. When I've been talking about discipleship, we keep coming back to these three or four chapters in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17. How many is that? I can't count. So however many chapters that is, this is Jesus last night with his disciples before he'll be crucified on their behalf and ours. Amen. So here they are. They're, good. They're about to enjoy the Lord's Supper together in John chapter 13. And that night, something incredible happens. Jesus does something that you wouldn't expect the creator of the universe and the sovereign of all to do. You ready? Okay. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus, it talks over and over again in this passage, passage about the things that Jesus knew. Jesus knew everything that was about to happen. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He's been telling them now for, um, how long does that last? I can't remember. There's a, there's a certain point in time in one of the Gospels. I can't remember if it's Matthew or John. But up to a point in time, Jesus wasn't talking about his death. But then upon Peter's um, 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 uh, expression, what do you call it? Peter's confession of, of Jesus' deity. From that point forward, P- Jesus starts talking about, and I must die. Okay, so here we go. So, so Jesus knows full well. So he says it was time for him to leave this world. How do you suppose that was going to happen? By his death and resurrection and ascension. He knew what that meant. He knew what was coming. Uh, and, and go to the Father. How does that happen? Well, you have to leave this world. There's only one way out of this world, right? Well, there's two, really, for us, right? There's by death, and there's also by rapture. So come on, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for the rapture. Let's just have it today. I don't mind missing the Cowboys and uh, Broncos game. Matter of fact, how about that? Um, having loved his own who are in the world, he, now, listen, to, with, read this with me. If you have NIV, read this with me. He now showed them the full extent of his love. I read that by myself. He, look with me here. He now showed them the full extent extent of his love. Do you hear that? What, what Jesus was about to do was, and, and I, think the, I think the meaning here is twofold. Uh, you know what? We're going to get to that. Just remember that. Hang on to that, will you? Okay, we'll get back to that. Then the evening meal was being served. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, here's again, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That, that, so Jesus knew that he had all authority and had come from God and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you've heard a lot of sermons about this, I'm sure, but I want to remind you of a couple of things. It was the job of the host to have a slave at an event like this, at a meal, at a feast like this, to wash the feet of the people that they were hosting. It was their job to, you know, people walk, they wore sandals. You can imagine how dirty and dusty. You've seen pictures, right, of Palestine. It's a, it's a, it's a place not unlike the Texas Panhandle. It's a dirty, dusty place. You walk around, your feet are going to get dirty and dusty and gross. And so, and open-toed shoes, right? And so, um, and so uh, they would have a slave. And actually, it wasn't just a slave. The lowest slave, pardon me, 
the lowest slave in the household, it was his job to wash people's feet. Not surprising, right? Yeah, yeah, right, the, the, the lowest slave in the household. But Jesus here, he t- took off his outer robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Yeah, pretty incredible. So um, there are a couple things here. Let, let's continue reading. Okay, well, let me, before we do that, I want to remind you who Jesus is. Jesus existed before God in the beginning. When God spoke into creation all the universe, right, John would refer to Jesus as the Word. And when, when, Jesus, when God spoke the world into existence and all of the universe and, and, and he decided, hey, I, like, I think physics are going to be cool, and he created physics. And he was like, you know, algebra and not having all the numbers and replacing them with a letter, that'll be cool, so I'm going to create algebra. And then I'm going to create literature, and people are going to learn to to write and to work and have word so that they can communicate and they can understand, and they can understand me because I'm going to give them my word, who's ultimately going to be found as the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I'm going to give them a word, and I'm going to create all this. And it says that he spoke this word, and and we understand kind of sort of the right that the spirit is the breath that he used in creation, and the word that created um, was the word created through the Lord Jesus Christ. How about that? So he was with God in the beginning. So, so God in his triunity, he created everything in heaven, on earth. Everything from magnetism to uh, solar flares to migration patterns of birds. It, it was all his idea and he created it all. Okay, so all of that. So it was all created by Jesus. So here is the master, the creator of the universe that Paul would say that all things were created for him and by him. And this is the guy wrapped in a towel, sitting down at the feet of some dirty, smelly, mostly fishermen and washing their feet. And Jesus is going to, go, going to tell them, is going to show them the full extent of his love. Here's the full extent of the love of God. Ready? He is willing to sacrifice himself. He was willing to do it himself. To See, the burden of sin had to be borne by someone. And for, for years, it, God had kind of kept death and, and sin at bay by bearing it on the backs of animals. And that's why have, we have words like scapegoat today, right? Because the sins were transferred over to the scapegoat or the sacrificed animals. They were transferred over to them and they, laced, they placed hands on them. But in the New Testament, God showed the full extent of his love when he lowered himself and he became the sacrifice for sins. Yeah. So here we have Jesus, the creator of the universe, kneeling at these guys' feet. How far would God go to save you? All the way. He, he, would bore, he took on the sin that had been born just by animals before, and he bore himself our sacrifice for sins. He knelt down and he washed their feet. Let's read the, the account. He came to sign. So you can imagine the picture. Apparently, Jesus is going down the line and, uh, of these guys. There were 12 of them, right? One of them was Judas Iscariot. He apparently even washed Judas' feet. How about that? The man who would betray him, he washed his feet. Jesus wasn't a hypocrite, was he? He, he had told them in Matthew chapter 5, that you, I, you've heard it said to love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for them. And he knelt at Judas' feet, the one who would betray him. And he washed his feet as well. So as he comes down the line, Simon Peter sees him coming and he says, Lord, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. Now, Peter, always quick to speak and slow to listen. Men, anybody? 
Yes, okay, yes. We can admit it. That's all right. We can admit it. We're trying to get better, right? Okay, quick to speak, slow to listen. uh, No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet and my, not just my hand, my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So here, Peter's like, okay, I'm all in then. Then wash all of me. Just give me a bath, right? Baptize me. And there, that day, Southern Baptists were born. Not really. Okay. And Jesus replied in verse 10, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew Here's another he knew. He knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Where do you suppose Jesus' place was? The place of prominence at the table. The man of prominence at the table got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of others. So that you and I would have an example of how we're supposed to treat each other, right? In humility, self-sacrificingly. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you have know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, so a couple of things. One is I want to point out this part where Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no Part with me. What does Jesus mean by that? Probably means um, there, some biblical scholars have pointed out maybe a couple of things. Maybe first, maybe what Jesus was talking about was that unless he washed Peter's sins by the, his death on the cross, and and maybe that's what this was all about. Maybe there were two things about this foot washing. The first one was was that the Lord God Almighty, that that, that the Lord God would send His Son in all of His might and all of His glory, and in humility would serve. Ultimately, what people needed most to bear their sins and to give them new life. That's what you and I needed most above everything else. And Jesus, in humility, came down from heaven, stripped the glory of heaven off of himself and took on the flesh of a man uh, and became fully God and fully man. And he lived as a servant, as a poor man, as a pauper. He lived amongst the people. He had no home. He was a homeless guy, really. He only lived, off of, lived from people who were supporting him, had no home of his own. But he lived uh, like a poor man amongst people in a poor place and time in Palestine. And not only that, but he died as a servant. He died as a pauper. And he died that we might have life. So, so in one way, Jesus' death on the cross is, is, a, is, a, is an example, an expression of how far would God go to save mankind. He'll go all the way. He will sacrifice himself. And that's what Jesus is showing here. Although I am the head, although I am your teacher, even though I'm your leader, even though I'm, I am your Lord, I am willing to pay the sacrifice myself. I'm willing to do it on my own. And all the expressions of the Old Testament about Hesed love are incomplete except until here when we have the full expression of God's love is that he's willing to put on the towel, he's willing to lower himself, and he's ready to kneel at the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Lord, not my will but thine. And he gets up and he gives his life for you and me. Profound, isn't it? So Jesus' foot washing is a foreshadowing of his willingness to lay his life down and of love for us. This was the demonstration. 
This was the full extent of love. This is, in all of the other examples of God's love, in all of the Old and New Testament, this is the greatest expression of love, that he would get, lay his life down for us. Okay, the, the next thing is, is that, so maybe, maybe Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. She's telling Peter that unless you let me cleanse you of your sins, you have no part in me. And so in that way, maybe the, the cleansing was, was a foreshadowing or a, a symbol of what he was going to do. But I think also it wasn't just a foreshadowing of, of what Jesus was going to do. It was also an example of service that you and I are supposed to follow. And this is pretty obvious from the text, isn't it? He said, what I have done for you, you do for others. You willingly sacrifice yourself on behalf of others. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be one of his disciples, if you want to love God, you have to love people. That means that if you want to follow the Lord Jesus' example, you've got, to, you've got to take off your cloak, you've got to put on a towel, and you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to be willing to step outside of your house and step outside of your life. And, and it, this is very difficult for us as sinful people, but we've got to realize sometimes that there are other people in existence around us. That, that's hard for us. That's difficult for us as people. But because the Lord Jesus, and by his Holy Spirit, he's changing our lives. We see the example that he set. And we say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to follow you in humility. I want to follow you in service. I want to be, you ready for this? I want to be a foot washer. Amen? How about that? Let's all get t-shirts made up and, and we'll just put foot washer across them, across the front. How about that? You know, wear that to work. You know, you know, wear that around your neighborhood. Listen, we all should because, listen, because that's what God has called us to. You've got to be willing. We've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to follow our Savior to show care and concern to the people around us. Why? Because that's how God treated us. See, it wasn't just so that you and I could receive his grace. It wasn't just so we could receive his love. It's so that we could then demonstrate his love. The expression that we've received now becomes a demonstration for us to be able to point back to him and say, you see the love that he gave to me? You see why I even care about you is because I've been deeply cared for and loved by my God. And that's why he's changed my heart. And I want to show love and concern for you today. I want to to be there for you when you're suffering. I I want to talk to the clerk in the store, you know, who's selling me that Slurpee. I want to care more about him than I do my Slurpee. And if the poor kid behind the counter can't count out change, right, how, many is that, how, is, how often does that happen? If the kid before, behind the counter can't count out my change, he's more important than my change. You with me? Because God loves people. You and I get in a rush all the time in our lives. We're busier than we ought to be, and the crumps are guilty of this too. We are busier than we ought to be, and we treat people like they're an inconvenience. Let me ask you, church, if God had treated you and I that way, where would we be? Hopelessly lost. Listen, Jesus Christ says, follow my example. Serve people. I gave you something I I found. uh, I I get uh, some updates from a a group called Verge. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. Uh, and, And this is a very very simple thing. It's some very simple stuff. And basically, it encourages you, listen, to do nothing else than to change your perspective. All these things that it says to do is that, you know, you're going to be in line at a store sometime. Engage the clerk. How about this? Get off your cell phone when you're talking to someone else. Show them that that you have some interest in them and their well-being. If there's someone that you know is struggling or hurting, 
make time to eat with them. Have them over for lunch, or if there's someone at your work, just share a meal. You know, bring their lunchbox, you bring your lunchbox, and you just sit together and talk to people. Talk to them, engage with them, demonstrate and show them that you care because you've been cared for and thought of. Amen? Your whole life by by your God. Talk to your coworkers. In your hobbies, include other people. In volunteer, participate, and, and serve your neighborhood. Eat with other people. Walk around your neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. Very simple stuff. That you so, See, so if I go tell you to go do 10 new things this week, you won't get any of them accomplished. But if I, if I can convince you, if the Lord can convince you and put in your heart and to put in your mind to care for the people that are already around you, to talk to someone outside of your, you know, one of the things that we need to do, we've got to escape the subculture of Christianity. You know what I'm saying? If, when we get to the point that everyone we know and all of our friends are Christians, we've become ineffective in the kingdom of God, advancing it beyond the people that we know. Listen, that's not what God called us to. He, he, he said, I'm not calling you out of the world. He's asking us to stay and to love and to serve. And God, help us to be washing the feet of the people around us that we might show them how greatly we've been loved and served by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close. Let's, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together to dwell in your word. We thank you for all the Old Testament examples of, of the depths and the devotion of your love for us. And I pray, Lord God, as we, I pray that your people here at Calvary, I pray that we would meditate on that every day about how deeply you care for us, about how deeply you love us and how much devotion you have for us and and faithfulness and enduring and preserving love. But Father, I pray it would have more than just a self-centered effect. I pray that it would change our lives in the way that we see other people, not as something to be avoided, not as a hindrance, but I pray that you would help us to see the people around us as a way that we can demonstrate your love like you've demonstrated your love for us. We ask this uh, in Jesus' great name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Y'all have a great week. Thanks for being here today.